What's up, everybody? This is your host, Scott Melker, and you're listening to the Wolf of All Streets podcast. Every week, I'm talking to your favorite personalities from the worlds of Bitcoin, finance, trading, art, music, sports, politics, and basically anyone else with an interesting story to tell. So sit down, strap in, and get ready, because we're going deep. Let's go. Roundlyx.com is one of my favorite companies in the entire crypto space. What they do is they take all your small purchases and they round them up to the nearest dollar and invest that money into any of 25 crypto assets of your choice. They integrate with your favorite exchanges so that you can round up into different assets all at the same time. And they do this all without ever holding any of your Bitcoin. This is by far the best way to dollar cost average into Bitcoin. You'll never even notice that the money is gone from your account and you'll look up one day and hopefully you'll have made thousands and thousands of dollars on crypto. Roundlyx, that's R-O-U-N-D-L-Y-X.com. Go sign up now. When I need to trade crypto on the go, Voyager is the only app I trust. It's so intuitive and simple. In just a few minutes, you can download the app, create an account and transfer cash from your bank account to start trading. Voyager offers commission-free trading. That's right, free trading of more than 30 top crypto assets, which has saved me tons of money on fees. The best part? They're offering interest on Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Ethereum, Litecoin, and multiple stable coins. No lockups or limits. Visit investvoyager.com or search Voyager on the iTunes or Google Play Store and get $25 in free, that's right, free Bitcoin to try out my favorite crypto trading app. Use promo code SCOTT25. This podcast is powered by Blockworks Group, the only event and podcast production company I trust. For access to the premier digital asset conferences and in-depth podcast content, visit them at blockworksgroup.io. I promise you will not be disappointed. Hi, everyone. Today's episode will likely be the most impactful and interesting that I will ever record with a guest whose life and career are shrouded in mystery. Everybody in the Bitcoin community has heard about the controversial Venezuelan national cryptocurrency, the Petro Moneda, aka the Petro. Today's guest is the mastermind entrepreneur behind the Petro. At the time, a 27-year-old former United States congressional intern and Harvard student who was a vocal opponent of the oppressive Maduro regime in his home country. So how did he end up working directly for the very dictator and government that he opposed? That's the story that we're hoping to get today, a story that we are fortunate enough to be one of the first podcasts to share. I am extremely honored to welcome Gabriel Jimenez to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you very much, Scott. Literally, it's the first time that I ever speak publicly uh, about it. I've been waiting for the whole investigation or the New York Times. They have been with, with this for more than, than a year. Uh, I've been waiting patiently to, to speak and to have everything back and, and fundamented. And now for the first time, I'm able to, to speak with my own words. Uh, the story of what happened, what we were trying to do, and the reasons that I keep trying. I keep trying to to look for solutions and build solutions for uh, for the people because the crisis and the situation in, in Venezuela, it, it's terrible. We, we all know about it, but we cannot just stay with our arm crossed uh, waiting for a solution. Well, we're going to definitely dig into that. And I'm extremely, extremely flattered that uh, you were willing to come on the show and that you chose us as the first place to actually speak. But your story uh, is obviously finally coming to light on the heels of the major New York Times article that was recently released entitled The Coder and the Dictator. So let's start from the beginning. Tell me uh, briefly about your upbringing in Venezuela. Yeah, well, I, I started in, well, I grew up in a small town named El, T uh, El Tigre. The reason is that when I was one year old, my father abandoned my mother and she moved to this small town 
she, we we up very poor over there, and from from there, I, it was all my my childhood. I spent it over there in Antigua. The way that I grew up, uh, it was selling wood deers on the side of the roads, selling sodas outside of the circus. I, I was uh, making everything to to move and to look for for my daily livings uh, the same as my mother that had to to sons and when i was 16 years old i had to move to caracas because i suffered an accident in a motorbike that left me in a wheelchair for about three years uh, and i had to move to caracas because of the the surgeries were very expensive and my mother couldn't afford uh, afford it and she asked to my father to, to cover it. And the only way to cover it, uh, this um, surgeries and the physical therapy that I needed to be was by living with him. So and that year is when I moved to, to live with my father uh, for, for the first time that, that I actually get to meet uh, with him uh, again. And, wow. and from there, my, my life was about, you know, hustling for working again, then at the university, hustling to adapt the university for handicapped students and, and looking for, uh, for solutions. But, but it's and specifically when I arrived to, to Caracas, when I realized uh, how bad the Venezuelan government uh, is. And the context, I was just a small child in, in, in Antigua, but it's in, in Caracas when uh, they closed the, the first TV channel uh, of Venezuela that was named RCTV. And from that, that moment in life, even by me being in a wheelchair, I say I had to, to fight this. I, I cannot stand uh, with this. And on the university, that was my, my whole university career as a student leader and I created an NGO and, and build uh, and worked in, in social in social projects and, and um, in political movements against the, the regime and I wanted to keep uh, going forward uh, I wanted to keep looking for um, uh, a, a different government that's what everyone in, in Venezuela wanted that, is that we felt that was the solution to have a, a different government and many of my friends after the university decided to run into the the political world but my stance was different uh, i wanted to go out and go outside and to prepare um, i went to in, in 2012 i went to boston and then i started to study in, in the over there in harvard and after one one year uh, over there i uh, was offered for an internship on, on Washington with the Congresswoman Ileana. Uh, the reason that I was offered that internship over there, it was through uh, a, a group of libertarian leaders uh, that is named the Fund of the Americas that I was part of since 2012. Uh, and they offered me this internship to actually go and work with, with her. Isn't that year in 2014, um, that uh, the the regime with Maduro actually accelerated oppression against the opposition. And that year, they killed more than 117 uh, young Venezuelans because a big majority, about 80%, 90%, were uh, students or, or young Venezuelans fighting for, for a better future. 
many of my friends from the political world that, that I grew up at the university were constantly fighting, were uh, oppressed, were in, in, in jail. Uh, and I felt that I, I had to do something. I was right in the middle of, of, of the heart, heart of the political world in, in the U.S. And my congresswoman, Ileana, that guy, uh, that's one of the reasons that uh, I decided to, uh, to enter with her. She was uh, a freedom fighter. She, and she was born in Cuba, but then uh, uh, she landed on, on the U.S. very early in her life. And she was an inspiration for me from uh, her position to fight the, the Cuban regime. And there are many Venezuelans on her district. So um, I, I, I was... In, from her office, uh, organizing a movement of Venezuela uh, to create pressure to other congressional offices uh, and to other Senate members to actually um, promote sanctions to the corrupt officials that were violating the, the Venezuelan regime. Uh, that was back in 2014. And that, that I, I I was one of the leaders and coordinators in, in that moment. And at the same time, there was something happening in the crypto world in 2014. That was the, the, the one, one year that many movements started uh, occurring uh, in, in, the crypto, in the crypto industry. And because I, I was uh, linked and, and, and I, I was uh, educated in many libertarian ideals, uh, I, I truly believe on freedom. Cryptocurrencies were um, a current topic on, under these political um, political groups. Uh, I started wondering about the power of cryptocurrencies back then in, in 2014. Uh, but besides that, I also started focusing on the power of entrepreneurship to actually uh, build and, and to actually have a big country and a big society. So uh, besides my work at Congress, uh, I at the same time founded a company and that company that I started was Socialize. My idea back at the time was to have a marketing agency. The idea of that marketing agency was to have it as a, as a business while I was keep uh, helping on, on the political world in, in, in the US. Uh, but that year, another time, my father um, uh, has a problem and is accused of fraudulent transactions in Dominican Republic. Uh, and because of, of that, I basically lose all of my savings and everything that I have because I trusted in, in my father and, and had it on, on my father's uh, father's bank and lost my clients again was um, directed and, and by many people for the same things of, of my father and had to to start over again had to start over uh, I, I was married uh, at the time uh, with a Mexican woman that I, I met in in Boston, while in Boston, and we were in Miami, and we were able to grow up again. We had a commercial office. We were able to open a commercial office over there for for the company. We were growing. We were doing everything distributed. We actually go back to Mexico um, by almost the end of 2015. We were going to to get the E2 visa, um, and we had everything ready to uh, to do this new um, process. 
when the opposition in Venezuela won the Congress for the first time in 18 years. Uh, this, in, in that moment when they announced the results, that I was right there watching the announcements on, on television, uh, it's in that moment when I, I tell my then, then wife, it's the moment to go back and it's the moment to support this change uh, because for the first time, the people want something different. The, the people have spoken. And, and what I, I learned in, in the U.S. is that that change doesn't necessarily mean that it's a, a change that comes from the politicians. That change can come and that in the, in the U.S. have shown us uh, that many times from big entrepreneurs and innovators that dare to change and change um, and the actual life of, uh, of the country. So we actually canceled everything, went back to Miami, sold everything that we, um, we had. And at to end, uh, the December 27 uh, of that same year, I mean, three weeks later, literally after that, we were landing in Caracas with the dream of trying to help change in the country. So you left a very, very comfortable life in the United States to go back to a country that was, you know, hyperinflation, was effectively war-torn with a uh, reg an authoritarian regime, and you chose that life to go back and basically oppose that regime. Exactly. That's literally what I did. Many people have told me that I was crazy. Uh, many people... Do told me, this, even my family, my mother was worried to, to go back and the, the family of my, my wife was worried to go back. At that time, the majority of the population were just running away from, from Venezuela because of the crisis. But right. I, I saw that, uh, that, that I needed, uh, what I learned, I needed to apply it and it was the moment to actually make a difference from, from that st standpoint. Yeah. Wow, that's an incredible story. So uh, you were already profiled in the Wall Street Journal in 2017 for your work with Social Us. So you're no stranger to the press and to getting attention for your hard work. What, what was the appeal of working in Venezuela when you went back as, you know, as an entrepreneur? And I know that you're not yourself a programmer, but doing, you know, programming and websites and marketing uh, in, in a country where it was so difficult to operate. When I went back, we actually started at my partner's uh, apartment at his kitchen. And we were there at his kitchen working. We were only three people because before we were doing everything distributed, but now for the first time we, we had an office, uh, an office and the office was the kitchen of the apartment of my partner. Uh, from, from there, my vision was that, okay, I'm not just going to um, build these solutions or, or like oppose and build the solutions that, that I want from just being a marketing agency. But by being a marketing agency, it will allow me to bootstrap projects uh, that will actually build solutions for our actual problems here in, in, in the country. So I changed the vision of, of um, the social at, uh, at the time and turned it into a tech incubator because I believed in, in, in tech um, as a possible solution for many uh, problems and day-to-day -day problems that, uh, that we had uh, as you know, learn here from my experience in, in the U.S. And you were largely getting paid in dollars in cryptocurrency to avoid having to deal with the boulevard, correct? Exactly. And that, that was when my process started about discovering a whole actually cryptocurrency school play a role in Venezuela. Because 
first I was a company. That means that I had to, uh, I had obligations as a company to fulfill uh, as any other company that um, that is constituted. That means that I, I need to pay taxes, I need to pay um, permits, I, I need to, to have everything, uh, everything constituted. So that was one thing. Second, I was working with the international war. My employees didn't have a USD bank account. We started uh, figuring out how, to, uh, how they could keep their money. Many of them uh, with only one bank account, then they requested to send it to one bank account and that person change uh, whenever they, they needed the, the money. So it was very co uh, complicated. And at the same time, in the case of, of my then wife, she couldn't open a bank account for a whole year uh, because she was wow. a foreigner. Um, and there was a scarcity of cash because of the hyperinflation. There was these problems to pay my uh, my employees that we had to do complex systems uh, based basically uh, on trust to be able to pay them. Uh, and even uh, the uh, swiping a debit card or credit card, the limit was about $10 per day. So you can imagine that if it would be a Friday and you will almost get to the limit on a Friday if you actually take eat something outside and you wouldn't be able to spend more money to pay for a couple for groceries, you needed to, to do a wire transfer. So so and that wire transfer needed a text message. I needed to get the text message and, and to send the, the wine transfer if she needed to, to, to request a cap. So it was very complicated. So it was right. very clear for me. That and, and understanding cryptocurrencies uh, from uh, from before and what we were doing because we were growing uh, back uh, in, at the end of 2016. We were from three. We were already like 12 people. We we switch office and then switch office again in, in 2017. And we actually managed to start building uh, four different cryptocurrency projects within uh, the social apps. That's what we were uh, we were doing, and all of these projects were self-funded by us, and self-funded because of, of the bootstrap from the marketing projects that, uh, that we did, uh, and at the same time from international investors that believe in, in what we were doing. So we weren't, you know, the classic developer uh, behind a um, behind a laptop. No, we were a company that we were exposed to uh, the regulations under the Venezuelan regime that they are the ones that enforce it. Um, and, and that's sometimes today is, is a bit harder to comprehend uh, because of the dollarization that have occurred and the uh, crypto movement that have occurred nowadays on, on the country. But back at the time, if any uh, merchant, if any um, merchant publish a dollar price, they will be shut down. If right. any merchant actually um, put the price of an item that was regulated above that price, they will be shut down. That was the reason of the, I don't know if you remember the biggest uh, lines of people uh, of making lines to buy food and yeah. buy toilet paper and the, those, those big lines. That, that was literally my day-to-day -day living on my case, on the case of my employees, and also on the case of, uh, it was literally in front of my office, it was a supermarket. So right. every day by going to to the, to my office, there was a big, huge line of people uh, crying uh, and with the faces of desperation that they wouldn't be able to actually get the 
the cornflour that they needed to make the, the arepa. So, so it was it was evident that that something had to be to be done. And at the same time, the political conflict was on their peak. After the opposition won, what the government did, the reaction of the government was to be more savage than ever before. Uh, they um, implemented an illegal uh, Supreme Court. That Supreme Court basically took all the powers of the National Assembly. So you can imagine a powerless National Assembly and the dictator doing whatever he, uh, he wanted to do. People got enraged. Everyone got enraged. We actually uh, rallied. Many of my friends, me, uh, and former employees, many people rallied uh, uh, against that. And as a consequence, in 2017, the same year of the ICO craze, and at the same time that we were building this, uh, these tools, um, more than 100 people died again under the oppression of the uh, Maduro regime. Uh, they actually uh, installed the Constitutional National Assembly that was the power about all of the constitute powers. Uh, so they basically could do whatever they want. People just stopped protesting. Everybody thought this is going to be uh, like this forever. The opposition basically after winning the, um, the National Assembly for a landslide, they lost uh, 20 out of 24 states on the next elections. Right. Um, so you, you, you can imagine like the whole uh, sentiment of the society at the time it was. So, so everybody gave up. Uh, basically, that was the feeling at, at, at the time. There is like no way out of that. And you can imagine me selling everything me going back to um, to my country for for change for for the ideals that I have always fought, uh, being uh, having at the time more than 23 employees that I, I had at the time, all of them paid by U.S. Uh, US dollars and, and cryptocurrencies. Um, I had I couldn't give up. Something that I learned here in the U.S. and it's a it's a flagship of every entrepreneur: the resilience. The, the pivoting, the look for solutions and, and where nobody nobody else can. That is literally what I did. Uh, what, what, what it meant on, on that context. What, what it meant for me is that if all politicians are not bringing uh, the solution that we were expecting, that we wanted this government to change, we had to do something for the people. Even if they stay, uh, if, if they stay in power, Let's, let's actually think about what is the main problem that is affecting the people right now. And well, the economic crisis is evident. Um, as, you know, there is a famous statement, it's, it's the economy. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, so, so for me, the, the economic factor was a, uh, was a big, uh, big issue. And I realized that even if the crypt cryptocurrencies had all of these potentials that, that they had at the time, cryptocurrencies were considered illegal in, in the country, illegal in practice. I will dig a, a little bit deeper in, in, in this issue uh, in, in a bit. But were the capital controls that were established since 2002 in, in the country that didn't allow the people to exchange their money freely and corporations to import and the price uh, uh, based on that uh, fake official rate and and that it was causing the black market to skyrocket uh, for the US dollar and um, causing the, the hyperinflation. So yes, it's the government, but it's, it's specifically this policy 
one of the wars that is affecting the people. So if actually crypto, yeah, cryptocurrencies are good to avoid capital controls. But what if, what if instead of just saying, yes, cryptocurrencies are good to avoid capital controls, but what is if cryptocurrencies just destroy the capital control by allowing uh, freely without fear of persecution to uh, exchange their national and their national currency to any cryptocurrency that will make a big huge difference um, because it's, it's, it's not um, it's, it's not about uh, changing the bolivar to to dollar anymore it will be changing about their bolivar to any cryptocurrency uh, uh, any cryptocurrency out there and I re also realized that the whole industry was underground. So um, my strategy was instead of staying underground and being a subject of extortion um, and blackmailing for corrupt officials that were taking minors and, and throwing them to jail, instead of doing that, let me uh, try something different and let me just go public and let me just publicly talk about what cryptocurrencies could do for the people. What cryptocurrencies could do for uh, for the people, um, for entrepreneurs, for corporations, because it's not, and I know that this sound cute, and this story is about, you know, Mar Mariah um, save, uh, saving uh, $20 in crypto through local Bitcoin. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds great. But the reality, when you have a government that is able to enforce and shut down businesses if they are portraying in dollars, if shut down businesses, if um, if they are um, going above the price of what they, uh, the state because there is only official market. If, if there is a government that um, punishes corporations and throw them in jail if they try to import without their, their official dollar, if there is that, just uh, yes, cryptocurrencies are gonna be a tool for a bunch of geeks and a bunch right. of developers, but it's not something that will make a difference on a population that is, it will be the second biggest state in the U.S. It's more than 30 million people, more than the state of, uh, of Texas, if I'm, I'm not mistaken. So so it's completely, uh, we needed a change in that. And I decided to go publicly and talk about this is not illegal. We are working on, on, on tools. Cryptocurrencies um, sh uh, should be, part of our day-to-day living. Right. So I assume that that's how the government uh, found you, basically. They realized you were outspoken. You were speaking about cryptocurrency. And although Bitcoin was originally viewed as a threat to a government, obviously, it's decentralized. It's immune to authority. But eventually, the Maduro regime clearly saw an opportunity to uh, use a national crypto cryptocurrency to you know, circumvent uh, American sanctions and to secure international investment investment and that's how the petro came to be correct at the time back at the time the sanctions on the regime were very likely the only sanctions that the regime have to, was to actually issue new debt um, back in 2017 the big issue that the government had uh, was the economy that was uh, scrambling and that was shaking the the grip to power that they had um, was, but it wasn't actually shaking their grip because they, the, as I told you, society was surrendering. But they actually uh, saw that oh, if this guy that you know has been profiled by Washington, this guy that uh, you know is U.S. educated, this guy uh, uh, over here that is telling that 
this cryptocurrency have a solution uh, for the economy. Let's just talk about, uh, let's talk to him and see what is that that he's speaking about. That's, that's the reason that they first reached me. And when this, uh, there is this guy, and because they reached me, it's the central bank. The central bank just wanted to know about cryptocurrencies. Um, I, I actually uh, go to the central bank with the purpose to, that the central bank uh, said a uh, um, resolution related to, um, to cryptocurrencies. Uh, they, there was not even a topic related to sanctions or anything. It was never the topic. And then when uh, there is this guy named Carlos Vargas that then became the superintendent, he was a political official from the government, but was basically a nobody uh, at, at the time. And he came and he saw, he told me, hey, I just saw your, um, your vision about cryptocurrencies. I like it. I was actually thinking in creating a cryptocurrency uh, based on all named Petrogobal coin. And it happens that I saw a couple of weeks before a video of Chavez um, uh, talking about a currency named uh, the Petro. And then I realized this is the way that the government is actually going to move forward with a project related to cryptocurrencies. If um, if we call this project the Petro, if we we say that cryptocurrencies are an uh, an idea that materialize the vision of Chavez and bring to life all of these solutions that I'm I'm speaking and that I I was an emerging authority in the technological world over there in Venezuela, that would be something that they could buy in. And because I thought that, I explained that to him, explained my vision to cryptocurrencies to Vargas, he requested us to, to do a pitch deck um, so he could uh, show that to the government officials. And we were like, okay, this is not going anywhere, you know, big bureaucracy, how you think of governments. It was literally a feedback of nine pages, nine right. pages. <laughs> so that, that was how short it, it was. And out of the sudden, so I, I lost track of, of that for about uh, two weeks. I was focused on my projects um, uh, in Venezuela. And then when I was in a conference in Bogota um, for one of my, my projects, uh, a friend sent me a video. Uh, it's my Maduro talking about the Petro. I realized, hey, these people did just steal a project or, or, or something. I just text Vargas uh, and, and he told me, hey, you have to come back. They just approved the project. And let me tell you how it was. There was um, a tech conference in Caracas. And in that tech conference over uh, over there, there was a guy selling Bitcoin mining machines. And that guy that was selling Bitcoin mining machines in that tech conference, that tech conference was organized by the uh, by the government. Actually, Maduro went to that conference, and when he went to that conference, he saw that that mining machine was funny. He asked that guy, uh, "Hey, uh, what what is it?" And he says that no, that's to mine Bitcoin. Is the um, uh, you don't need the U.S. dollar. That's uh, under blockchain, the currency of the future. Um, that that is a new revolution. And Maduro asked um, uh, the guy that was next to him, that was the vice president, that uh, supposedly Vargas um, talked to him and 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 talked to Maduro, explaining uh, the project. And he asked him. Is, isn't that the project of, of Chavez? And 
the uh, uh, BP at the time told him, yes, th that's it. So let's approve it. And they went 30 minutes after that uh, happened and actually spoke publicly about it, I, publicly approving that in the project. So uh, when I went back, uh, I was around Caracas around 11 p.m. I received a call and it's a call from the vice president, the Ministry of Finance, the Ministry of Science and Carlos Varga. And they, this, his, their questions were basically uh, the very basics about cryptocurrency. They didn't understand about anything about mining. They believed that mining was the equivalent to plugging um, computer and having US dollars in their in their accounts. Um, they didn't know anything related to blockchain, anything related how it works. They didn't understand a thing about it. And and you will ask me, hey, but how is possible if the president uh, just uh, approve that on national TV. Hey, let's remember it's the Venezuelan government. Right. The one that is under control of the biggest oil reserve of the world and the fifth uh, reserve of, of gold in, in, in the world and have created the worst economic crisis in, in recent history uh, in, Vene in Venezuela. So yes, it's that people, the ones that we were talking about cryptocurrencies back in 2017 and talking about a national cryptocurrency that is basically like science fiction because it has never been done. So so it's, it was like I realized their lack of knowledge on, on, on the subject that they didn't know what they just approved. They didn't know about the, the, that this actually undermined the socialist model that they have tried to apply to the country uh, for, for so long and it's, it's, it's the and the consequences of, of the economic disaster that, that it has. So, so it was for me, uh, I, I realized that it was an opportunity to, to if the project was actually released, um the the way that we were trying to to make it at limited uh, currency of 100 uh, of 100 millions uh, um, tokens that were fluctuate freely on the on the market uh, and that will have the transparency that everyone imagine now everyone being able to watch how the, the government is moving funds because right. of, there is a blockchain explorer. So imagine that power in the hand of, of the population uh, and of the global war nowadays. People say, no, it's to avoid sanctions. Hey, if you are a thug, all right, um, and if you want to avoid sanctions, you would probably do it through Moneros, through Zcash, or through Bitcoin because of the liquidity that it has. You wouldn't talk publicly about, hey, I'm going to avoid sanctions with these that have never been done. So right. you can stop everything that, that I'm, I'm trying to do that I don't even uh, uh, get it well. So um, because of that, and literally it was because of that moment that I realized that they didn't knew everything and that I pitched back to them uh, that I wasn't going to, to even ask for one Bolivar or one dollar for the project. Um, that the project was going to be done by a foundation and that the foundation was uh, the owner of the project uh, and, there, and therefore they were the one that going to uh, continue the core development of the project and, and that we wanted to issue the token in, um, uh, in, two, in a two-month period. So uh, they say to everything, they say everything yes. 
and and they didn't and, and the main request in that time that was the main request in the cryptocurrency in, in the in the pitch deck that I sent them is to legalize all cryptocurrencies to make them all uh, legal. So I was realizing that this is going to change our our rules over here. This is going to change everything. I I remember back at the time when it was illegal speaking in conference. I always say that my dream was that companies in, in Silicon Valley actually look at Venezuela as a place to actually implement their solutions for cryptocurrencies, to actually test their solutions for cryptocurrencies, because we actually need it. Um, because we actually don't have Apple Pay or Android Pay or Venmo or anything related right. like that. <laughs> so, right. so we actually need this, this solution uh, now. And that, that, that was my speak. And if that was possible, that is going to open the door for, for that. So I, I so you, Sorry uh, to interrupt, but you understood all of that, right? <laughs> but your friends, your family, the people you worked for, they inevitably probably didn't. And all they, I assume, saw was that you were going to go work for this government that you'd opposed for so long. So what was it like the next day when you walked into work and you said, hey, everybody, we're going to stop working on all the projects that we've been working on. The Petro is our focus now. Well, uh, the sentiment was wariness. Everybody, uh, uh, less one person, uh, say that they they realize the opportunity uh, to actually do something. Uh, I also had to explain the economics um, to them on the context of you know when you have a company, you're, uh, you feel responsible for the families and the livings of all your employees, so you don't want to go your company bankrupt. Uh, uh, or your investors to lose their, their money had to explain economics. If we also do this, we're going to be the leaders of, of, uh, of this industry and we're going to get so many uh, job requests and so many projects that it's going to pay, pay off over the long time. And at the same time, we are changing the economic um, model here. We are eliminating the capital control for the first time in, in 16 years without uh, shooting a gun because I'm not, uh, you know, a person of, of, of guns. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a very skinny guy, lanky, like the says in, in the article. I, I fought with ideas. And, and this idea, if we were able to pull it up somehow, we have to trust in ourselves to actually, if we were able to pull it up. And, and well, the team actually, yes, they were worried and they, they support me. My investors support me. My team support me. Just one person that uh, in that moment just say, I just cannot even stand it. Even true, they were worried and, and everything. My 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 proposal was like, I'm going to be the one dealing with it directly. So you, you guys don't have to face that. Um, uh, uh, that uh, on yourself, but if we pull it up, we are going to make a difference in, in our country too. Roundlyx.com is one of my favorite companies in the entire crypto space. What they do is they take all your small purchases and they round them up to the nearest dollar and invest that money into any of 25 crypto assets of your choice. They integrate with your favorite exchanges so that you can round up into different assets all at the same time. And they do this all without ever holding any of your Bitcoin. This is by far the best way to dollar cost average into Bitcoin. You'll never even notice that the money is gone from your account and you'll look up one day and hopefully you'll have made thousands and thousands of dollars on crypto. Roundlyx, that's R-O-U-N-D-L-Y-X.com. Go sign up now.
Are you sick of paying ridiculous fees to trade crypto? It's time you try Voyager. It's hands down my favorite place to buy and trade crypto, and it's 100% commission free. Voyager gives you easy access to more than 30 top crypto assets, and you can instantly transfer cash from your bank account so you never miss a trading opportunity. Even better, you can now automatically earn interest on your crypto holdings. Currently, they're offering 5% interest on Bitcoin and 6% on USDC. Yes, you heard that correctly, 6%. And there are no limits or lockups, which means your funds always stay liquid. Find out why so many people are making the switch to Voyager. Visit investvoyager.com or search for Voyager on the iTunes or Google Play Store and get $25 in free Bitcoin when you use the promo code SCOTT25. Right. So you described the Petro as a Trojan horse for the Venezuelan people. That's a quote that I read from you. So you basically are saying that uh, Maduro went ahead and approved this idea. They didn't really understand the implications of it. So you felt that you were going to be able to infiltrate the system kind of unknowingly to them and secretly by creating the Petro. Exactly. Exactly. And, and just the following weeks, everything was literally a jazz in every request that I, I asked. I, I asked uh, about, okay, let's talk about uh, the project for the first time publicly at the central bank. And there, if you see my speech or you see even the speech of Vargas that was embodying what we were, uh, what we were doing, we were talking about transparency. We were talking about fighting the corruption of the state. We were talking about a limited, uh, a limited uh, issue coin. Uh, so those, those uh, uh, were the main drivers of our, our dream. That very same night, we got to talk to Maduro and to the economic cabinet, uh, uh, and they were all all in. And we had even international uh, and American uh, uh, American. Um, industry leaders that came to the central bank to talk about the, possi uh, the possibilities and the potential of cryptocurrencies to the people. And we were all, all there talking. We were all there talking to, uh, to, uh, to Maduro, pitching him about the reality of cryptocurrencies could do and talking. I always talk. And if you see my speech at the central bank, if you see my speech with other international, uh, international media, the petrol was the spearhead, the spearhead for all the cryptocurrency um, uh, environment, for any new cryptocurrency to actually be legal on, uh, uh, and be able to uh, corporations to implement it, to entrepreneurs to be financed, to um, innovators to build solutions for mass adoption of the whole, of the whole country. What happened? What happened right after is what everyone expected that would happen. Um, starting even on the same December, um, I had the first red flag of the Ministry of, of Science telling me that he was going to shoot me if I ever talked negatively about the petrol or about uh, the regime. Um, because he would rather die as a killer than as a traitor to the fatherland. Uh, then on December, on, on January, when it was supposed that the president was going to talk about the, the white paper, the white paper, it was a process that involved so many different companies because we created a foundation. Uh, it was more than 10 companies that were involved in the, in the projects. Again, I don't want to mention names. Uh, because they, many of them are still in, in Venezuela and their lives are at risk. 
many Crazy. companies, many companies in, uh, were involved in, in this project, and we uh, had to get approved by uh, every regulator and every government entity, and all of that went in about two weeks in meetings with more than 10 people approving everything because the president said, yes, it's whatever Gabriel says it is. That was literally their commanding. And that whole trade moved so fast up until January when my, my innocence was that by controlling the white paper and issuing the white paper, that the white paper was going to be like the constitution of the technological um, development that uh, that we were doing simultaneously, uh, I was going to be able to pull it off before they actually realized. But in January, the Ministry of Finance realized that he wouldn't be able to control the economy anymore. The, the same Ministry of Finance that controlled the mafias, the Minister of Finance that is one of the main uh, responsible for the economic catastrophe that, that it had. Um, it, it is the Minister of Finance that had the idea that the petrol was going to be pegged to the oil barrel and wouldn't be able to fluctuate and had the idea about the Orinoco build. Uh, that, that guy that I opposed uh, right. uh, publicly several times, um, he told me that if I don't, didn't give him the white paper, he wouldn't be responsible for me, uh, for anything that happens to me. Right. So he wanted it to be an oil backed stable coin, basically, and which obviously destroyed the entire dream and the ideal of what you were working for. Yes, yes. However, I was able to pull it off a little trick and my way to persuade him. And if you read the white paper, the white paper that was published, that was only half of the, um, the white paper, there is not way to redeem oil just because of that. My, my warning is that they wouldn't be able to get into the hands of, of the oil. But uh, what I able, was able to, to persuade him, that is that the peg to the oil will be only for the price of the ICO and for the commitment of the government to receive um, the price of the, uh, to, to receive the petrol back. So a minimum value as opposed to a stable value. Exactly. And that minimum value will create, because it's a limited issue coin, it will create certain stability because if it goes too high, you know, people will, wouldn't be as incentivized to use it to pay taxes or services to the government. I'm, I'm not talking only about people. I'm talking also about corporations, oil corporations. I spoke with president of oil corporations also um, to, uh, to talk about uh, about this, this fact. So, so that was the way that I was able to persuade them. But they wanted just the white paper. They, uh, they forced me to give them the white paper. That night, I um, tried to talk with journalists to tell them what was happening. And then they published the, the white, uh, one of them published half of the white paper. Then uh, uh, things went, went out. People were believing that we were uh, trying to, uh, to take uh, a percentage of the petrol for for our pockets, and at the same time, the government used that to to uh, and they they request me and and uh, show me a file of folders of my employees, telling me that they had everything on them and that they could do whatever they wanted that, that I needed to to stay low. Then the day before uh, publishing the white paper, 
the, when the president showed the white paper to, to the world for, for the first time, that he was saying that it was being developed by John Venezuelans, uh, that it was based on Ethereum and, and, and everything. When, when that date happened, they told me, hey, we are not going to publish the uh, technological part. And <laughs> when they told me that, I told them, hey, but this is an, an scam. If you're trying to solve something that if you're not showing how the technology is going to be and actually deploying that and that technology is very much like selling a house without even looking at the planes or, or, or like um, uh, looking at how it looks like. So, so it was basically a, a scam. So I was opposed hardly to that. And the, the way that I, I received uh, the support to actually publish the white paper was to publish it with our authorship. We published our authorship with the foundation authorship, and that's the first white paper that it went out. Uh, a non, and again, a non-for-profit um, foundation. Weren't you scared? I mean, weren't you terrified? You were openly opposing the regime that you knew, obviously, was uh, violent and was killing their opposition. I was, but I couldn't um, show it that to my team. I couldn't right. uh, back off. I and if it was possible to actually make the change in the country that I always dream of, it worth it. Um, it, it worth it. My the, the the many of my my friends have risked their life and uh, fighting for their deals. Many Venezuelans has lost their lives uh, fighting for a better future. This was my fight. And this was my way of trying to do something something different. Many people could judge me that I was trusting on the government, but I wasn't. I wasn't trusting on, on, on the government. I was trusting on the power of the technology, of the blockchain technology, of the, of, of the power of cryptocurrencies overall. Because people nowadays like to tell that, yes, Bitcoin is not the solution for, for Venezuela, but it's not about Bitcoin. It's about eliminating the capital controls and allowing any innovator to bring a solution and bring and that solution being mass adopted for everyone without fear of persecution. That was the, um, the main goal of, of what we, we wanted to do. So, so they stole your white paper. They basically stole your white paper. You published it yourself through the through uh, other channels. And then, then what happened? Uh, well, um, they sent me the political police to my house uh, at 6 a.m., um, when they sent me the political police and uh, I was receiving the calls since 5 a.m. Of, of government officials because it went, in, it went live about, about 12 or something. Um, they uh, requested me to remove the white paper, take off the authorship that it had, and uh, they... Tell that I was a CIA agent and a traitor to the fatherland. And they declared uh, the foundation, the one that was handling everything, as an um, enemy to the state. And that uh, the project wasn't ours an, uh, anymore because the foundation was an enemy of the state because I challenged the, um, the words of the um, finance um, minister over there. So that, that's what happened in that moment in time. Couple of weeks afterwards, my my hope was because this was my hope because every that's the reason that I was trying to do everything as fast as possible. The announcement of the ICO was for February 20. My hope was nobody else can pull up 
in such a short amount of time this project because they don't have any idea about uh, the, the work that we have been doing. And the president already talked about it and he won my cup. So because that was happening, I had the timing on my favor. So I had to, to lay low. They tell me, hey, you know, now you're, um, the foundation cannot do it, but we need a company to actually, uh, a Venezuelan company to, um, uh, to actually uh, compete uh, with a, a Russian team uh, that is, is coming to actually do the project. That's what they, they tell me. And this may be a, mis um, a mistake, um, but my hope was that I was able to outcompete the Russian team uh, when I actually, they didn't let me to actually meet the Russian team I met them for just, we were in a dinner with my my team talking about the defense of the project. They didn't allow me to go to the ministry anymore because I, I was this, um, this traitor. And when I was with my team on, on a dinner in Caracas, we saw a group of Russians celebrating and everything. And we approached them, hey, who are you? No, we came to do the petrol for the government. And that's when they told us their names and we investigate them. And they were a yoga teacher, an actor, a model. <laughs> and you can imagine my frustration, the project that I, I, I was building. And this is the people that supposedly we are competing with. I, I was completely uh, enraged and I accused the government and I accused them that, uh, um, that these people were scammers. Um, these people were not the guys that they were telling who they, they were. They didn't uh, have the, the authority the uh, skills, they didn't have anything um, to do it. And many of the companies that were on the foundation where uh, we decided to, to be together through my company, because I was the one that, you know, because it was my face and, and I was the one like taking that, that risk. So we, we ended doing it by, uh, by social us. That's the reason that in the story to explain the foundation and everything is a bit complicated, but it, it, that's the reason we transition everything to, to social us. And uh, this, uh, what the government replied me back is that I was just jealous. I was jealous about the Russians that they had more skills than, than ours. So uh, I was trying to, uh, to fight this off, to outcompete them, to say, hey, we have everything already on place to actually make this work. Uh, they told us that we are going to do it. And just a few hours, um, the announcement, and that start of the ICO was going to to start, uh, and up until this time, I just want to state again, I have never received a bolivar or a dollar or signed a contract to the government up until that date. Um, so everything was being you know bootstrapped by us because we we wanted to to make this this uh, parade work because if it failed, I knew what was going to happen. Um, uh, afterwards. So we were in that room and around 9 p.m. come against the Russians with their models, with their um, actors and everything, with a bottle of champagne uh, to the vice president palace where I was. And I was literally shocked about uh, what was happening. <laughs> um, literally with bottles of champagne, taking selfies on the, um, on the Venezuelan shield, uh, you know, and they were like celebrating because um, they were going to sign the contract uh, over there of 
the um, of the Petro. Right. So uh, that uh, they signed the contract of the development of the Petro, even me by telling that they were uh, scammers and, and everything. And uh, right after the announcement that I'm refusing because they uh, then they want me to become uh, the salesman of that petrol, that it was basically a scam. So I, I was refusing to sign a contract to become that salesman um, that they wanted. I wanted to, to be able to, to, to be sure that the development of the project was going to be the, um, what it was supposed to be. Um, and then they they came, the chief of staff of the vice president with the military, and they detained me. And, and the the lead developer that was with me at the time, he has a, his own uh, own company. They detained me, and they told me that we were going to be sent to the um, helicoide uh, if we tried to communicate with the exterior world that we were detained uh, because the website had a typo. Literally, that was the excuse uh, the, 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 because we people were making fun of the president because the president because the website hey, hey, had a typo. So uh, what happened is that around 6 a.m. they let us go and they told me that I was going to get instructions. I was called by uh, the government officials telling me that the president requests me to be at the presidential palace. I went to the presidential palace um, and my goal to go to the presidential palace was to tell the president everything that was happening. Because as you can imagine, even within the, go in the government, there are many political um, uh, powers, political movements within uh, fractions within, within the government. So my, my hope was to persuade the president that we had everything everything to make the project um, the way that it was supposed to be, the way that we explained him at La Roca, that is a bunker, a military bunker in, in, in Caracas. Um, we had everything and that, that the other people didn't, wasn't doing anything. I explained him what was happening. I was silent uh, um, on the national transmission when I spoke that to, uh, uh, to Maduro. And uh, then they showed me a contract that I, they told me that I had to sign on national uh, national television. So they put you on TV with Maduro and made you sign the contract. Yes, and made me sign the contract. And that contract, I, I have the original uh, with me nowadays. The other copy is the one that uh, they had on Miraflores. It's the one that they published afterwards to tell that I was, you know, um, uh, trying like uh, um, stealing money, and uh, because after after that, uh, I was literally pushed off of, of the project. They tried to uh, to to persuade me to try to sell them uh, the project, but I, I I didn't want to unless we were able to um, again. Uh, do the development of the project the way that it was supposed to be. I didn't want the project to uh, to fail. I refused. They offered me five hundred thousand dollars in a Russian bank account and everything. I refused to take the money. And then they charged me officially. They charged me with treason to the fatherland as as a CIA agent. They told me that that um, I was going to be let alone uh, because uh, uh, it was bad for the people to see the creator of the petrol in jail 
Um, but they they let me go, and I was trying to put, uh, to rescue my company, but they were going after my employees. They were going after my partners. They were going after my investors. Uh, uh, and at the same time, from the opposition, I was uh, being uh, named as a collabor collaborationist. I was being named that I was trying to, you know, make money from the government or, or like I was helping a dictatorship to, to have oxygen or, or, or whatever. Like all of these claims from both sides of, of the aisle that literally destroy my business, destroy my reputation. Um, many of my friends that didn't knew that what happened, you know, felt like um, betrayed by uh, by me. I, I, they, uh, I lost everything trying to rescue the, uh, the company and the different projects and, and all of my employees lose their, their jobs, my investors lose their, uh, their money. The project, that is the, the thing that I'm more shameful about, became a tool for propaganda, a tool for manipulation, uh, and they could do whatever they, and they wanted to do, and I couldn't do literally anything about, uh, about it uh, right. anymore. Right. So you became viewed. You became viewed as an enemy by both sides. Yes. Yes. Literally. Literally. And I. It came to the state that I even had to sell. You know, at the end, the computers of the companies to to get food, and and had to to sell uh, my car to be able to buy a ticket and go uh, go back to the U.S. because it was just a matter of time for them to say, hey, what is going on? The Petra isn't working, let's just blame Gabriel because I was already charged by them. And at the same time, by the opposition, I was also uh, an enemy on, on many of their uh, their eyes. So and the Petro never worked, right? Yes, the, the Petro never worked. Nowadays, it's basically a number in an SQL uh, database. You know, so it's, it's just um, um, a shelf of what it's supposed to be, but there are certain things that change that are worth mentioning. Regulation. It became clear that cryptocurrencies were legal. Um, if you see, many people always talk about Bitcoin and local Bitcoin and, and crypto adoption in Venezuela or whatever. Look at the chart of local Bitcoin before November 2017 and starting on December uh, 2017, when the petrol was announced. Look um, at, uh, at the different uh, conferences, different educators. The whole nation started to, to talk about cryptocurrencies. My mother, like everyone, uh, was talking about um, cryptocurrencies in, in the country. In businesses adopting cryptocurrencies, like the biggest, um, the, the equivalent to, to what would be Walmart, uh, over here, uh, the Venezuelan Walmart accepting cryptocurrencies and many wow. different businesses wow. accepting cryptocurrencies, uh, crypto ATMs in a country where capital controls and, and where um, everything was so enforced back at the time, we open the valve um, to, to that change and that uh, space of, of financial freedom. And that's the reason for, for that possibility. I, I don't regret uh, don't regret to try it. Um, I, I don't regret to try something different because I, I truly believe that that it was possible to to do it. 
I'm ashamed that I, that I feel that I fail. I just don't want to blame the government, uh, the opposition, my team. I, I failed. I, I took the, the risk and, and the decisions, and maybe it was too impossible from the beginning, but even this, the, the smallest chance, if it worked, it will make a huge difference in, in the context of Venezuela. It made a difference of the, in the context of the industry. If you go to Caracas, you will see many billboards related to cryptocurrency. You will see many businesses talking about cryptocurrencies that become legal. And not only because it becomes legal under the law, but also because the government was doing it. And in a dictatorial regime, the law is not what is proven. The law is what the government does and, right. and allows to, to do. <laughs> so that, that is the, the sad truth that many people don't comprehend. And many people believe that crypto is just a bunch of geeks behind their computers. And no, if you're talking about nation, you're talking about businesses, you're talking about corporations, you're talking about financial, um, financial institutions, you're talking about people that have to comply with regulations, people that have to comply with permits, to actually make uh, 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 to actually make it work for the whole economy, and that's what we try to do. And in in that aspect, we 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 made some change. Well, you succeeded in that aspect, and I, I think the biggest critics around the world of Bitcoin always say that it doesn't have a real use case. But I think that uh, that may be true in certain countries, but in a place like Venezuela, it's literally saving people's lives on a daily basis. I mean, is that accurate? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and not only because the direct use of the people, but also because many businesses are using it to move their, uh, their money, to import goods and, uh, and to offer services. So, so it, it, and payment solutions and, and different, different things that are being officially implemented and widely implemented in, in Venezuela. Uh, that you don't see somewhere else being done mm -hmm. the same way, and that wasn't happening be after before 2017. Do, do you see any parallels between what happened in Venezuela and what's currently happening in the United States now with unlimited quantitative easing and printing $6 trillion for stimulus? I, I see similarities, uh, but also... Uh, we have to understand that currently, right now, we are under a global crisis that has never been seen before. So I just don't don't want to say that is it will have the same effects than uh, of what happened in Venezuela, because you have to remember one key element um, that is exactly capital controls. So you have that printing machine going like crazy in Venezuela, but at the same time, people wasn't able to move their money freely. So that created a black market that was under, uh, without any structure or a black market that was just purely speculating uh, about the, the value of, of the dollar and that printing, pushing the price of the, um, of the dollar itself. And that created that hyperinflationary situation right now. So th there are similarities. And of course, we, we need to take um, uh, a look of what is currently happening and not let just things pass just because of, of the crisis without being critics uh, about it. But also, I just don't want to be um, 
alarmist and saying that the same consequences that happen in Venezuela are going to happen in, in the U.S. under the current circumstances. That, that's very fair. So you're in the United States. What are you doing now? Uh, well, uh, after I was able to leave after bl the blackouts in, in Venezuela, I didn't have any money. Um, a friend let me stay in his place in Chicago. Uh, he bought me groceries and I didn't even turn the, the, uh, the AC or, or the warmer, the heater, because I, I couldn't afford for the electricity and that house was basically uh, there for, for work for, for him. He let me stay there. Uh, I was able to meet some uh, peers from the cryptocurrency industry in Chicago through different meetups that I went for the free food and for connecting to people. They helped me a lot. They actually um, uh, introduced me and to a few other people and allowed me to do a few private conferences uh, in, while in Chicago. That led me to the San Francisco Blockchain Week last year. Uh, that I was on a private conference uh, to uh, here and people here saw what was happening with me and they decided to support me. They and and they told me, "Well, Gabriel, you're a builder. Uh, we believe in in, in you. Um, if you want, you can stay in, in my place and you can come to our office uh, and and build um, because we we know that you you are not going to to surrender. And that's basically um, what I'm doing. I, I have been uh, advising a few cryptocurrency projects, uh, non-for-profit again, uh, related to Venezuela. Uh, I do it because I, I believe uh, and I just want to go back to my home. So I wanted, I wanted to change. Uh, and besides that, I'm nowadays working on a project that is based on economic independence. I realize that financial freedom is just one step uh, of the whole staircase. Uh, if people is not able to get a living uh, by themselves uh, and that feeling of, of self-worth, um, that financial freedom, being able to have $10, um, if you are not even able to, to earn them, that will cost you everything. So I, I, I just want to try to provide a, a different approach to the Venezuelan crisis right now to instead of not not instead but besides the donations that are currently happening I want to focus on the Venezuelan crisis but providing jobs directly to the Venezuelan people basically it's um, a freelancer platform but purely based on Venezuelans uh, in Venezuelans and Venezuelans that have migrated so so it's specifically designed for them. They are paid in, uh, in cryptocurrencies. Um, so that is the project that I'm building right now. The name is Jojob, uh, but I'm, I'm currently working with uh, to, to, to pull off the MVP in the following weeks. So you're still trying to help the Venezuelan people through cryptocurrency? Yeah, um, I won't stop. Uh, I won't stop. That, is, that has been my passion. That is the reason that I went back to my country. That is the reason that I risk everything. And, and you have to understand it. I'm here under asylum. And just by even doing that, I'm putting my asylum on, at risk. 
And and in my country, if you saw my story, many people, in, in people from the government, both the government and opposition, they just didn't believe it. They believe it that you know I bought the New York Times, that I I was paying the, the sources. Imagine me and nobody controlling such an international media. So people just claiming that all of that is bullshit, or people talking because of my father that they don't know the story of my father and I. You know, so so all of these claims, but. I know my what my ideals are, what I stand for, and I'm, I want to stop trying to to build for my country. Do you think that you'll ever go back to Venezuela? Definitely, Venezuela is my home. Uh, that is kidnapped by a bunch of savages. Uh, that is the uh, uh, the Venezuelan regime over there, Maduro and and their peers. Uh, so my plan is, is to go back uh, back home. And while I'm abroad, I'm not going to wait and stand until everything changes to go back. I'm going to work on solutions for now and not for the future. Solutions for now for the Venezuelan people and, and be able to somehow on the future um, go back to, to my home. So, uh Wow. Um, so, so much to process. That was really just an incredible story. Is there anything final that you'd like to add that you'd like people to know before we sign off? Yeah, I would like to encourage Venezuelans, I would, but especially the international audience that hears you, I would like to, to encourage companies, innovators to think in Venezuela now. And not about a donation, not about uh, a fundraising and making an airdrop for, for Venezuela. No, let's think about actual solutions that could be widely adopted uh, and could help the Venezuelan, the Venezuelan people. Let's innovate. Let's, and let's think about the, the, the reconstruction on Venezuela, but now, because in 20 years, our politicians haven't been able to pull a solution. And I don't see that right now happening anytime soon. Uh, I think that innovators can can make a huge impact. And that's what I want to encourage, especially in the crypto industry, that is, there is so much to do and so much to do right now. So where can people follow you after this and keep up with your story? Um, well, I'm, I'm not very active on, on social media. Um, because I, I mainly focus on, on building, uh, but uh, my Twitter is Gabriel Jimenez M. So over there, I'm on Twitter, and you're very welcome to follow me. If you DM me, I always reply. Uh, and again, if you are doing something related to Venezuela, I won't even charge for my expertise. Wow. Uh, absolutely incredible story, and you're just so, so brave in my eyes, and I'm glad you've had you know, this chance to defend yourself and clear the air. I hope that people will hear your story, even your friends and family, and understand why you made the choices you did. And also, you know, on a, a more selfish level and for the world, why Bitcoin and crypto are really so important in certain places of the world. So I have to thank you for choosing to share your story with us. Uh, again, we're in incredibly flattered and, uh, you know, definitely going to follow you and keep up and would love to have you back on as things progress, because I, I'm sure that you have very great things still coming in the future and that you're going to truly find your way to help the Venezuelan people. Thank you very much, Scott. And thank you for, for having me for the first time in your program. Amazing. I've been a, a big fan of you. I really appreciate that. We will speak soon. Let's go. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. New episodes go live every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. 
Links to our Apple and Spotify channels are in the show notes. You can also follow me on Twitter at Scott Melker to continue the conversation. See you next week.